Happy Friday, Art Curious listeners. Jennifer here with your short-form news roundup meant to bring you up to date on some of the latest goings-on in the realm of art history. This is Art Curious News This Week, and today is Friday, January 27th, 2023. Let's get right to it. This week, like so many of our weeks on the show, has a couple of themes running through it. Today's themes are museum troubles and archaeological discoveries. For today's first story, we're doing a little callback to one of the episodes of Art Curious News this week that we aired last summer. If you listened to our show back in July 2022, you might remember that I shared that the FBI's art crime team had seized 25 paintings from the Orlando Museum of Art's 2022 exhibition, Heroes and Monsters, Jean-Michel Basquiat. When those works were considered potentially inauthentic ones by the 1980s superstar painter. As the investigation into the authenticity of these works continue at the FBI, the American Alliance of Museums, known as AAM, officially placed the Orlando Museum of Art on probation. AAM is the U.S.'s official accreditation organization for museums of all sorts, not just art museums, but it wields huge power because it connects museums to one another and to other institutions around the country, and it is a way to suggest that each museum partner has been vetted as an institution in good standing, meaning that it's not risky to work with them to, for example, borrow or lend works of art for temporary exhibition. All of which, of course, trickles down to things like visitorship and to a museum's money-making aspects. It's a lot. So while the AAM essentially put this warning upon the Orlando Museum, as first announced by the Orlando station WESH, they did not note the exact reason for the probation. A spokesperson for the AAM simply noted, quote, The probation period is set by the Accreditation Commission and determined based on the museum's particular compliance issues. To move out of probation, the museum must demonstrate that it has addressed its particular compliance issues to the Accreditation Commission's satisfaction, unquote. In return, the Orlando Museum of Art released their own statement, reading, quote, the OMA remains fully accredited and has been a member in good standing of AAM since 1971. Our status is now temporarily probationary after the events surrounding the Heroes and Monsters exhibition. We are working with the AAM to remove our probationary status and expect to remain in good standing. Unquote. I want to note that while accreditation by an outside organization like the AAM is kind of like a stamp of approval that can have huge effects on museums both big and small, I don't want to make it sound like an unaccredited museum is somehow bad or not important. It's just a further complication in matters. And I can only hope, as the OMA noted, that they are indeed only temporarily held in probation and that the institution can rise above their problems and move forward into a more stable future. Not that the Guggenheim has been having a very good week either. This week, a lawsuit was filed in a Manhattan court against the Guggenheim Museum in New York. The suit charges that a painting by, of course, Pablo Picasso, a 1904 blue period painting titled Woman Ironing that is currently part of the Guggenheim's collection and worth around $200 million, belongs to the heirs of a German-Jewish family persecuted during World War II. The heirs and several nonprofit Jewish organizations are fighting the Guggenheim to reclaim ownership. 
The heirs claim that the original owners, Carl Adler and Rosie Jacoby, had originally purchased the piece from a German art dealer in 1916 and only rid themselves of the Picasso and other works because they wanted to leave the country to avoid persecution and that they needed to raise funds to do so. The bad news is that they had to sell their beloved art collection at bargain basement prices, which they then did by selling it to the son of their original German art dealer. The good news is that they ended up making enough cash from the sale that they received visas and escaped to Argentina in the early 1940s. The German dealer's son ended up gifting the Picasso to the Guggenheim as part of his bequest, and it entered the museum's collection in 1978. Now, the Adler heirs, who have been battling it out with the Guggenheim since at least 2021, are taking the museum to court for quote-unquote wrongful possession. The Guggenheim claims that they are taking the Adler concerns extremely seriously, but there is a squishy gray area here because the Adlers, they note, legally sold the Picasso to the art dealer, thus making it a fair transaction. The heirs, though, note that the sale came from, quote, economic duress, unquote. It's strange to me how timely the story is, because I just gave a lecture this week at a local synagogue about the ongoing efforts and problems of Nazi-era art restitution. I've talked about restitution a bunch of times on the podcast, both here in our news segments and in our regular episodes, and I usually proclaim that things are getting better, that more and more institutions are working with heirs and claimants to determine rightful ownership of works of art. But there are still institutions that are, I suppose, more hesitant, like the Guggenheim, to just give works back to their original owners if there was a sale of some kind in the interim. And I get this. In the Guggenheim's mind, this early Picasso, which is a masterpiece of his most famous pre-Cubist period, is a big deal work. And to the museum, it was passed on to them legally, first via sale in Germany and then through a bequest. But to the Adlers, it was a sale that the family never wanted to make, but only did so because their lives were literally at stake. The Picasso was a family treasure, and now they wanted to get it back. I am not a lawyer, but I can see that this is super complicated on both sides, and I am really interested to see how this one pans out over the coming months. So I will be sure to report back on the podcast if and when the lawsuit's status changes. All right, this is a good moment for me to take a little break before we get back to more Art Curious news this week. So please support me and the show by listening to a couple of ads or join me over on Patreon and support this show ad-free for the price of a latte. That's just $4 a month for ad-free content at patreon.com slash artcurious. So a quick thanks and welcome to this week's newest patron, Christelle. Big ongoing thanks, too, for my VIP patrons, Flamestress, Gaston, Stephanie, John, J.L., Rhonda, Lance, and Robin. And P.S., do you want your name read here every week? You can become a VIP, our most helpful and important level of support. We will be right back. Thanks for listening. The new year is here, and I am committed to kicking it off right by finding small ways to help me look and feel my best. 
Taking care of my skin is a huge part of my commitment to self-love and self-care. And that is why I am excited to partner with Apostrophe, the sponsor of today's episode. Whether you are dealing with breakouts, signs of aging, or acne scarring, Apostrophe's mission is to empower you and help you feel confident and comfortable in the skin you're in. Apostrophe is an online platform that connects you with an expert dermatology team to get customized acne treatment for your unique skin. Through Apostrophe, you can get access to oral and topical medications that use clinically proven ingredients to help clear acne. You simply fill out an online consultation about your skin goals and your medical history, then snap a few selfies, and a board-certified dermatologist will create your initial customized treatment plan. Apostrophe offers access to prescription treatments for all types of acne, too, from hormonal acne to facial acne and even back, chest, and butt acne. As someone who has experienced her share of adult skin issues, I am happy to note that Apostrophe can be a game changer for me in my skincare goals. Getting something that is tailored specifically to me and my unique needs is priceless. And the fact that I can do it all from the comfort of my own home without even dashing off to a pharmacy is huge. And I bet it can make a difference for you, too. We have a special deal for our audience. You can get your first visit for only $5 at apostrophe.com slash artcurious when you use our code artcurious. That is a savings of $15. And this code is available only to our listeners. To get started, go to apostrophe.com slash artcurious and click get started. Then use our code artcurious at sign up and you'll get your first visit for only $5. Thank you to Apostrophe for sponsoring this episode. Welcome back to Art Curious and our news this week. For our last main story today, we are reporting another high-profile art defacement, this time at the Art Gallery of Western Australia in Perth. The painting, a piece by artist Frederick McCubbin titled Down on His Luck, was spray-painted with the logo of Woodside, an oil and gas company. It should be noted that, of course, the painting was glazed i.e. framed and the surface of the painting itself covered with glass, or in this case, perspex, which is a kind of plexiglass. This is just the latest example of numerous ongoing climate protests that have centered around art, especially oil paintings, because get it, oil paintings, and museums. In this particular case, the protesters noted that they are attempting to draw attention to, quote, ongoing desecration of sacred Marujuga rock art, unquote, happening in the Burup Peninsula about a thousand kilometers north of Perth at the hands of Woodside, who has been working to provide natural gas to its customers in Western Australia and beyond. The protesters released a statement saying, in part, quote, toxic emissions from Woodside's Burup hub are destroying the oldest, largest rock art gallery in the world, unquote. Their choice of the Frederick McCubbin painting as the target of the protest is an interesting one. First, as a signifier of a local cultural high point in the minds of many, a painting that is only 100 years old, whereas the rock art mentioned by the protesters is over 50,000 years old and is oftentimes pushed away because of its aboriginal roots. So the protest here is twofold, one with an environmental aspect and a cultural core. And I am guessing that we are not going to see these kinds of protests stop anytime soon. As I have mentioned before, though, the only thing that might stop the protests would be stricter museum security, both on entering a building, which at some point, who knows, might even include body searches, and or more guards patrolling museum galleries. 
So talk about a less fun experience for art lovers and museums both. But as I've said many times, again, I do see both sides. I don't love climate protests that focus on art like that, but I also totally get it. It gets attention. And you know what? They do have a point. If our Earth is going up in both literal and metaphorical flames due to climate change, then what's the point, some say, in protecting works of art? Now that I've said that, please don't opt to go defacing or destroying works of art. Let's just all use our voices and voting power to fight climate change as effectively as possible without hurting museums and art. And now a little lightning round dedicated to archaeological announcements. Because just in this past week or so, it has been bonkers, y'all. First up, in the Mexican state of Tabasco, where archaeologists overseeing a dig for a future oil and gas pipeline in the area discovered what was announced to Art News as, quote, two-meter-high domestic housing platforms made of clay, unquote. And this seems to point to at least one large, if not two smaller, settlements from the pre-Hispanic Mayan era. Next, in a similar discovery, again during a construction project, workers in Romania uncovered a tomb purportedly belonging to a warrior, probably dating from around the time of the Huns in the 5th century CE. And the tomb was filled with gilded and bejeweled artifacts, including things like a golden saddle, jewelry, and a mask that probably covered the deceased warrior's face. Archaeologists in Bucharest did note that this is only one of four archaeological sites yet discovered, and that the dig for the construction project is only halfway done. So it is likely that we might hear more about this kind of find in the near future. Speaking of more, there is more. A team out of Oxford University announced this week that 17 decapitated skeletons dating back from the Roman era, about the 3rd century CE, have been found in a town outside of York, England. While researchers note that the reasons behind the decapitations are unknown, they do state that this isn't the first time that remains like this have been found in the area, with similar caches located in both 2021 and 2022. The skeletons in these sites have typically been found with their skulls placed between their feet, which could point to a number of things. It could be a way to signal that the dead was an enslaved person, a kind of human sacrifice that could be tied or not to a fertility ritual, and more. So, in other words, we don't actually know too much at this point, but every discovery could lead to a new understanding of the Roman period in modern-day England. And now, we'll finish with a trifecta out of Egypt. In the past week, announcements from Egypt's Ministry of Tourism and Antiquities have included the finding of a 52-foot papyrus scroll dating from 50 BCE, several intact crocodile mummies that are at least 2,500 years old, and last but not least, the unearthing of yet another Roman site, this one from around the 2nd or 3rd century CE in Luxor, Egypt. Luxor, which has long been an archaeological and cultural hotbed, has been in the news this year several times already for announcements of over 60 mummified remains that have been discovered there, as well as yet another potential royal tomb in the fabled Valley of the Kings and Queens. You can find links to read more about every story mentioned today over on my website, artcuriouspodcast.com. Whew! What an incredible week, everyone! That is all that I have to share with you today. As always, thank you so much for listening to Art Curious and Art Curious News this week. 
I have an exciting announcement to make, and that is that our incredible once-in-a-lifetime Vermeer-centric tour to the Netherlands with Like Minds Travel is sold out. So excited to share this journey with all of those aboard. But if you are not coming on this particular trip, never fear, because more options for art curious travel are in the works. So stay tuned here and also on social media at Art Curious Pod and my website, artcuriouspodcast.com. In the meantime, thank you for your patronage, your support, and for listening today. Until next week, stay curious. <laughs>